0: hello this is julie julie and the red Jeep girl and today my dad is joining me we're gonna talk about a couple of things first off happy one year to my podcast it is officially a year 30 plus episodes. I'm so excited to still be here and that I actually consistently kept up with something. (laughs) So I can't wait for this next year and I can't wait to see what's going to happen next and what we'll be able to discuss with you guys as far as cars, maintenance, auto detailing. But uh, a couple of questions I'm going to ask my dad for this episode are going to be about when he ran his shop, what's some of his favorite things. Uh, and so on and as always I want to start by thanking all of the essential workers our truck drivers our nurses and doctors everyone that's working in the medical field um, everyone who is able to continue working and I just thank you from the bottom of my heart I appreciate you and um, yeah so uh, another thing we're going to discuss is I got some detailing detailing tools uh, that I can't wait to talk about with you guys, and some of the other things I'm going to try and be investing in over the next couple of months to help up the detailing game. And then once I use them, I can tell you guys if I recommend them, don't recommend them, uh, and so on. So, Dad. Uh, First off, I've asked you this before, but what is your favorite car of all time? Favorite car? Favorite car.
1: Oh, goodness. Uh, Well, let's just qualify that by saying favorite vehicle. Okay. Because it's not a car. (laughs) Okay. It's going to have to be uh, probably, I'm going to say probably uh, a 1988 Chevy pickup.
0: 1988. That's my birth year.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, the reason I say that I never owned one, and I will probably never own one, but I do have a '94 Chevy pickup because it's kind of iconic. Because um, when I was a kid growing up, and uh, my first vehicle was a '66 Ford Fairlane 500, had a 289 V8 in it, and it was a, it was a good car, but still, it was the technology was way behind. And I knew then as I was driving that car at the age of 15 and a half, 16, that there was better on the horizon. It, the car didn't have any anti sway to it. You go around a corner, it felt like the thing was going to roll over on you. Wow. So, how in the, you know, I don't know. The car was famous for racetracks. It was a two door, not technically a sports car, mm-hmm. but um, it was uh, a two door ford you know uh, with a v8 a small v8 mm-hmm. to be carrying as i say that much hind end it was a full-size car could probably haul six comfortably uh but still you see it on model shelves today as a sports car mm-hmm. and mine what well, i turned mine into i put a three-speed on the floor took it off the tree as they say mm-hmm. off the column and uh and that's all it had It had a three-speed transmission it should have had a hearst four-speed to have any and then a then connect it with a 302 Boss V8, and that's still the 289 block, just a little bit bored out, you know. But anyway, back to my favorite vehicle. Uh, you know, I knew, like I say, I knew in 60, that that the Fairlane that I was driving in 1980 80 was was just lacking. I just knew it was. And then then I inherited my dad's 1976 Chevy Silverado four wheel drive. And even then, you know, uh, uh, moving up 10 years, I still knew that Chevy and car manufacturers in general could do a better job than that. That you could, on a quiet night, you could listen to those vehicles rust, you know, <laughs> <laughs> the, the, I know it, it's bad, uh, <laughs> You know, that, that corrosion is an enemy of those back then. They just mm-hmm. did not have good protections. They didn't have good metallurgy. You, you ever heard the old saying, they don't make them like they used to? Mm-hmm. Well, thank God. Because, <laughs> because uh There's every, a lot of metal
0: that rusts. Well, no,
1: everything, all the materials, you can, anything you can think of is way better now than it ever was in in any vehicle from the 50s, the 40s, the 60s. -hmm. It doesn't matter. I mean, even your dash composition, they don't crack in the sunlight and tear apart the way they used to. Or
0: at least Um, not as much as they used to. No, some some some
1: don't at all. Mine, uh, my 94 Chevy half-ton pickup Mm -hmm. does not have a single crack in the dash. Which is amazing. And it was never carported, ever, Mm -hmm. you know, up until the last – Two three years, mm-hmm. and that's like shutting the gate after the cows are out because <laughs> paint's crap on it, you know. But <laughs> but anyway, uh, the uh, in nineteen eighty eight, uh, well let me just back up. The materials being used in the manufacture of auto vehicles, w- it was just poor. I mean, hundred thousand miles was about all you could expect out of a vehicle, and that was it. Uh, the engine was going to be crap. It was going to be smoking, using oil, dripping oil. Every, eating oil, eating, drinking <laughs> oil, and, and, uh, the interior, the seats would just tear to shreds and a dr- the headliner would fall down on you. The dash would crack in the sunlight. And I knew then that there was a better way. And in 1988 Chevy came up with that better way. It was a radical, uh, dis- I mean, design change in their everything from the way they did anything their, even their steering power steering ratio uh, to steer you're, you know when you go left to the lock to the, all the way to the right to the lock mm-hmm. the composition of the metal you could, you there's 1988 Chevys out there today with not a sign of rust on them dashes don't crack the way they did seats don't tear up as like they used to mm-hmm. uh, carpets and interiors and and then on top of that uh, you got your systems. Like uh, say your climate control,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, your vent, f- uh, defrost to vent to floor, uh, those things were operated off servos, and they're way more reliable now than they ever were operated off of cable. Uh, even though you you know when they were manual, you turned a knob or you slid a you slid a little uh, thing left to right to go mm-hmm. you know, from hot to cold or to change it from vent to floor. Or something like that. It's it's even that's even better today. The engines, oh goodness, you can go a half a million miles easy on a on a Chevy engine from nineteen eighty eight up because the way they, they started casting their engines in sand and they were um, uh, and the, the way that the metallurgy that they techniques they employed uh, made uh, and then on top of all that they made them oil better. The oil passages and then the pressures and the way they oil way better than it ever was. You could and then the the valve uh, technology and the way the engine breathes and aspirates and exhausts. It's it's just you know and a lot of that's brought about by NASCAR. Um, the technology that they have now and it is, it's it's kind of like NASA helping out the uh, medical industry. Well, mm-hmm. NASCAR helps promote the auto automotive industry. Their research and and stuff on efficiency. Everything is about efficiency. You know, you want horsepower. You got to have horsepower, mm-hmm. and then you got to have RPMs. I mean, here recently, the movie, uh, uh, what was it, Ford versus, versus Ferrari. Ferrari, came out, and they they were afraid and could not push their engines past nine thousand RPMs. They were scared of it. They just knew it was going to come apart, and most did. Ferraris did. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, even in that, that engine that they use. Well, uh, the um, nowadays in NASCAR, mm-hmm. 10,000, you ain't cooking until you've got over 10,000 RPMs. It's That's a no-brainer. You, the engines will stay together nowadays. So, anyway, the automotive industry benefits from anything that NASCAR does. Head technology, breathing, aspiration. Carburation, injection uh, you know the whole route they they improve their our vehicles that we daily drive we get more uh, uh, power versus uh, fuel used, uh, and the efficiency is is just gone way way up, even though this is kind of the crazy part right here when you look at it and you say, okay well a a car nowadays n- 1988 Yes.
0: Uh, Silverado.
1: Yeah, so just okay. Chevy pickup. Chevy pickup. Yeah, nice. Any any package you can think of. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, I. There was there was one truck I saw. I can't remember which one it was, but they had a much easier way of like draining some of the fluids under the truck. They're actually on twist nozzles now, <laughs> so you don't anybody, have to unscrew yeah, well, unscrew can... a jam nut, and it like splashes everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, and I'm just like, "What if you like hit something that
1: I was just about like to say, is there
0: like a safety cap that i that I missed not getting put on that like you know like what if what if someone wants to pull a prank that's a pretty easy way to pull a prank?
1: They'd have to know about it first, but the uh with anything that there's that you do, there's pluses and minuses, and the plus is ease of operation. You can you can change your oil in a, just a matter of minutes, you know, with a drain, mm-hmm. a ball valve, and then. Uh, on, but the minuses are that ball valve. If you can get a rock knocked up in there, that turns the knob and makes it drip, mm-hmm. or trickle, or just flat outright dump it.
2: Yeah.
1: And you know you might not know you're jacked. <laughs> you better you better have a you know thing about it is if you if you don't put a a, a cap on it, well. Then, if you have to take a cap off, what's the difference between taking a cap off and the plug out? Yeah, <laughs> you know, you know. So, uh, you know, I don't know. It, it's it's you know the ease of operation. You, there are ways to make things easier. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, as, then your filter replacement and all that good stuff. Right. But you know, you you're creating a little bit of a liability there for yourself if you if you install something like that. And if it sticks down lower than the pan, especially, you don't yeah. want to ever do that, <laughs> ever.
0: <laughs> so, um, now when we, my, my car has been on hiatus for a little while, but when we go to do, where is the donut gasket?
1: Oh, it's connected it's at the bottom of the exhaust manifold uh, where the uh, exhaust pipe begins. It's, okay. it, it is the way of mating your exhaust pipe to the manifold uh-huh. and keeping it flexible. It's, a, it's called a donut because it's round, yeah. and it's rounded on the edges, and it's rounded on the, it's 45 degrees, well, roughly, on the edges so that the exhaust tailpipe can move and flex with mm-hmm. the body as it rolls over the terrain Mm-hmm. And it it's not rigid. It, it will it will move and flex and not leak and give you that sound.
0: So what is going to be the process for us to access that?
1: A lot of prayer because <laughs> because it's uh, <coughs> the number one consideration when dealing with exhaust is broken bolts. Mm-hmm. And, and if you get under there, you know you could you could spray them bolts down with penetrating oil for like say a month before you do it. Mm-hmm. and you may or may not have helped yourself you can't hurt but it, you don't know if you've helped yourself any yeah and and the best believe it or not the best way to try to get exhaust bolts out is uh through uh uh impact mm-hmm. you use like uh, the same t- type of impact gun that you on your lug nuts that you use on your lug nuts you would use that on exhaust bolts mm-hmm. for some reason it jars them loose and if in it's way better than if you got on it with say a, a breakover or or ratchet you know in a socket uh-huh. and in try you can try to put smooth even uh pressure you know uh and not impacting pressure and i I'll, almost can guarantee you they will break every time then if that happens you're kind of screwed and tattooed you got a couple choices the best thing to do is get a cutoff wheel and cut the studs off smooth okay. with the flange on the exhaust manifold, and then use a drill, a little bitty, bitty, bitty drill and drill a micro hole through the center, punch them mm-hmm. and then drill the centers out and then go back with a little bit bigger bolt. I mean, bigger drill, mm-hmm. and then a little bit bigger drill. And until you can either one, uh, chase, The threads and knock the rest of the bolt out of the threads with Mm -hmm. a chaser, or you can just uh, drill the hole out big enough to put bolts through it with with nuts. And uh, either way will work. Now I'm gonna tell you this: that using nuts and bolts is kind of a liability because through you can put lock washers on them, you can put crush washers and all that, but I don't know why. But the the exhaust manifold receives such a Horrible vibration, uh, all frequency all the time that you end up losing nuts and bolts, and then you have an exhaust leak on your hand again, and you have to get (laughs) it back on the lift and (laughs) reinstall a nut or bolt or something like that. So, yeah, yeah, but the best thing would be is if possible, if possible, Mm -hmm. tap you know, tap the existing threads in the flange out and get, uh, preferably. Um, either i don 't recommend stainless bolts some some exhaust people use stainless, but I always like brass something soft
2: mm-hmm. that
1: would still hold torque and they kind of brass kind of crushes on its own mm-hmm. and and helps hold it 's a little malleable, but the special kind of exa- brass exhaust bolts are almost perfect for that and you get that uh, you don't well with stainless going up, going into cast iron. Uh, you can get that bitumulus corrosion Ooh. with heat. and it Heat soaks, cold soaks with moisture. Then you get rain. Heat soak, cold soak, moisture. Heat soak, cold soak, moisture. It just sets up asking for corrosion in a broken bolt. See, it's like why batteries work. You have two metals. Mm-hmm. Anytime you get two metals in moisture, you got voltage. I don't care where it's at. You, you, <laughs> I, I don't care. You could, you could take, You can take a nickel and put it on the counter. Put a piece of uh, paper soaked in salt water on the nickel Mm -hmm. and then put a penny on top of that and you have voltage you might have about a volt and a half not many amps mind you but you'd have about a a, so anyway that sets up in the bolts in your cast iron uh exhaust manifold Mm -hmm. if you use stainless bolts or anything ferrous like that or just regular hardened bolts you know so i like to use a non-ferrous bolt in exhaust uh, I've never had any issues with like it what
0: what do you recommend Where do you brass okay
1: copper you know uh whatever they make for exhaust in mm-hmm. brass or copper you've got uh you got that ferrous cast iron exhaust manifold and then you have uh non ferrous bolts and they they won't set up like that uh now in those, I would not use an impact on because 'cause they're soft yeah uh <laughs> I would just just simply ease those out with a ratchet, you know. But if I can tell they're corroded up, uh-huh. they're steel, hardened steel probably. Yeah. Yeah, I use an impact on them. So
0: those. how do you, uh, for Oklahoma, mm-hmm. uh, how often would you recommend someone to put a fluid film on the undercarriage of their car?
1: Fluid film? Yes. Are you talking about like an undercoating? Yes. I never. Really? <laughs> yeah. Don't do it.
0: Because, I mean, like, I know in the northern areas, they tend to have, like, more That's salt on the roads deal. and stuff. That's a different We
1: don't use okay. salts. You know, we we'll use um, uh, sand. sand and gravel, mm-hmm. and which can be problematic, but it's still not road salts. Yeah. And up north, and I've seen the cars. I've had cars on my lift that came from up north, and literally the frame or body of the vehicle was rotted completely out, waiting to break going down the road you know and and sure enough every one of those came from the north you know uh
0: (laughs) because of the salt oh
1: yeah we're probably talking kansas city up from kansas city up Mm -hmm. but you know i don't know for sure but they have such bad winters they they get really crazy with the salts Mm -hmm. and then you know then then on the coast that's what i was just about saying then you have the people that live on the coast Uh, And, you know, I had a mechanic of mine that asked me, well, who drives in the ocean, Jeff? Well, (laughs) no, that's not the deal. Uh, I have have seen cars that came from the coast, and the owners would wax them at least once a month and still could not combat the corrosion. Mm -hmm. And they didn't drive in the ocean, you know. (laughs) So, but, you know, it's just very caustic out, out there to live near the ocean. That salt water is just... Ugh. For metals, for metals, yeah. Uh, but
0: yeah, I, I, I was considering doing a, a fluid film application to the underneath of my car. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wouldn't do it once it's drivable. Nope, <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it, not at all. Um, but okay. So, uh, what was my? Let me pull up my other question here. Uh, let's see here. Um, okay, so. If someone wanted to open a shop, what Mm. is some advice you would give? And in hindsight, what do you wish you had prepared for more or what do you recommend someone to prepare for more?
1: Mm. If
0: they want to open their own mechanic shop.
1: There's a lot. (laughs) A a lot. It's Mm -hmm. just, you know, when you think about a shop in general, um, you know, things have been way better since... uh, uh while Trump was in office he, he took regulations off of businesses and before then the regulations were horrendous on businesses mm-hmm. and and uh the, the one that's one thing that uh, that uh, people don't understand is that the more you overregulate you're just the government is literally putting their foot on the back of the neck of, of commerce and they are killing it and it gets to a point to where businesses can't okay. function.
0: Well, I wasn't talking about the government aspect. I know you weren't,
1: but I'm telling you right now that, that, uh, that, uh, one of the things that I knew that I knew was all the requirements that I had to have, all the licenses and permits and, and, uh, insurances and liabilities and mm-hmm. this and that and that and this, and, so, you know, okay, So it like stacks up.
0: What, what type of. In preparation, what type of things would those be? Like what type of license? Oh,
1: goodness. Uh, Well, it depends on the state you live in. Here, you don't have to have a license uh, per se.
0: Do you have to Um, have an LLC?
1: Well, it helps. An LLC is is very similar to an incorporation. uh, And LLC means limited liability corporation. So Mm -hmm. if you get sued, like say if you put a set of tires on a car and they drive down the road and wheel falls off, kills a family, uh, you know, God forbid, uh, they can't, uh, come back and take everything that you have. They can only mm-hmm. take what the business itself has. Mm-hmm. And it's for it. An LLC is better for small businesses than, than an incorporation, um, you know, to set it, set your business up as a sole proprietorship.
0: When it comes to overhead, what's the best type of preparation? Like how many, oh, like, Lord. do you have to predict it by weeks out, days out?
1: Overhead? Mm-hmm. You, okay. You're talking about the structure itself. Mm-hmm. Well, that depends. I mean, location, location, location,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and and uh, I hate to say it, but I've seen successful businesses thrive in horrible locations because they were just made uh, known by word of mouth,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, you know, like. they 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 got they got a following. And I'm going to tell you. Uh, so,
0: like, with the overhead and budgeting, like, being able to predict, you kind of don't really know until you get about, what, your first six months or when you're in?
1: Mm, no, there's no way to predict. You just have to prepare for the best. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I'm, when I say the best, you got to prepare for if everybody in town shows up needing tires and brakes and shocks <laughs> and, and struts and, and alignments. <laughs> you, you need to have the staff on hand, materials available. A good working relationship with your parts stores, mm-hmm. and I mean delivery Johnny on the spot don't put me last mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying uh, you know it's one of those deals but that's those are relationship things that you need to establish way before
2: so you
1: know you so you're building have a, that dynamic oh, yeah you get well building the relationship itself with your vendors mm-hmm. your tire suppliers your your uh and i it doesn't have to be a tire shop it could just be a straight automotive but uh i for thirty six years was involved in tires and automotive mm-hmm. and and uh, you know you gotta you gotta uh you know have a decent looking place clean uh inviting uh it needs to be welcoming to people you know uh, you know that's one of those things that you don't know what turns people off on a on a on a daily basis in and as to what what does an attractive business look like what does does a mom you know with a couple of kids look like what does a business look like to her that she is welcome at what is she what can she drive up to and and feel like she's going to get treated well mm-hmm. you know it doesn't you know you don't need to see three de- you know t- uh, three or four dead cars hanging around the place on flat <laughs> tires with transmissions <laughs> And engines, greasy stuff all over the place, sitting outside. Mm-hmm. It doesn't need to be trashy. It needs to be clean, organized. And if the business is, it looks that way, then it usually is that way. Mm-hmm. And and people, you know, can uh, they can rely on that? You know, um, you know, can you can rely to, on it to feel comfortable. Well, I'm gonna tell you something else. Labor, labor is a biggie. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got to have people. You got to have a staff. You reliable. know, reliable that that is that knows their stuff. That's knowledgeable and and knows uh, knows their limitations mm-hmm. and and uh and is willing to you know without egos willing to say hey man i'm I'm over my head on this one. Can you help me out or can we send it somewhere else even
2: mm-hmm.
1: that's a tough call right there's for a shop to send it to another shop but i will say this I have sent a few vehicles to the dealership. I never sent one to another shop per se. There was almost nothing we couldn't do beyond uh dealership stuff mm-hmm. but sometimes there was issues that only the dealership had access to information to fix
2: mm-hmm. you
1: know and dealership had dealerships have an amazing you know support from their manufacturer
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know uh, and, the, and that's something that that uh, <clears throat> uh you know mitchell on demand all tell those guys they try they try to get you as much support as the dealerships you know, so that we can keep cars, uh, you know, uh, that, that's a freedom thing right there. It's a liberty thing to where you can take your car anywhere you want to get it fixed. You don't have to legally take it, you know, not back forced to, to take it yeah. back to the dealership and pay $120 an hour mm-hmm. for labor. And, and so, you know, that's one of those things about support. And, uh, but uh, a good staff is, is good to have, hard to find. Uh,
0: always (laughs) always
1: i believe in mentorship i believe in in finding an old uh old salty dog and then teaming him up with say a votech graduate Mm -hmm. you know and let and just let him hang on his belt loop for a while and and uh and let him show him you know say man you know votech's one thing and classroom learning is one thing and being out in that 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 pseudo you know sort of bay you know, mm-hmm. working on cars, but when you when it gets down to the nut cutting, it's you got to, <laughs> you know, you got to, uh, uh, you know, you have to be prepared, and and you got to have uh, information mm-hmm. and support, and and I believe you get that through mentorship. You know, that old salty dog, he may not be, uh, he, you know, he may be to the point where he's just flat wore out. Mm-hmm. and he's not going to get down on the ground and up and down and up and down but that that young spry you know Votech graduate can do his his go for work but at the same time he's learning
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know and he's picking up the real deal you know real life training mm-hmm. on OJT on the job <laughs> you know and I believe in that now I've I've seen it work so many times and produce good that kids that went on to be good mechanics by doing that doing it that way
0: mhm there's a there's a lot of trial and error that comes with it. I know that getting back into cars for myself, it was the at first I was just like I can't even remember the name of tools. I kind of still can't, but, uh-huh. <laughs> but that that's part of why I've continued with this podcast is that even if you forget the names of tools, yeah, you know, um, there there's nothing wrong with learning to feel comfortable in just simply not knowing yet because you're eventually going to know you're eventually going to remember Mm -hmm. you're going to get that you're going to learn that skill if you stick with it yeah and so that's what I'm hoping to to provide with this podcast is that you know if you don't get it on the first try you don't get it on the first try it takes practice Mm -hmm. it takes it takes repetition and consistency
1: well let me say this um (laughs) I, I remember when I first started uh, working on ACs back in the early 90s. What? <laughs> what?
0: I absolutely hate working on AC. Well, I don't.
1: I did. I did. <laughs> I did. Uh, I, because I was Maybe so. Maybe it'll change. Listen, I was so good with tires. I mean, mm-hmm. there was nothing I couldn't uh, do or didn't know almost. I even retraded tires way back in the day. So I was, you know, I manufactured tires. And so tires, brakes, chassis, under, you know, carriage stuff, uh, you know, alignments and, and all that. I was mm-hmm. I was good with diagnosis, drivability. I was salty at it and good at it. And then air conditioning, you know, came along after I opened business in 93. Then the air conditioning came along and I didn't know much about it. I mean, I'd had it in college. I had had a few semesters on it, passed it. But like I say, there's a big difference between classroom and real world. Mm-hmm. And and uh, so I dove into everything that I could get to read about AC. And I, uh, I got uh, into uh, uh, seminars when anybody, NAPA or O'Reilly's or AutoZone would offer a seminar
2: mm-hmm. for
1: mechanics. I, I, that had anything to do with air conditioning. I went to it. I, even when I was salty, later on in life, 20 years later, I was super salty with it. I mean, people were calling me on air conditioning and asking questions. I would still go to their seminars. If I picked up one little grain that I didn't know, and sometimes it could be the difference between getting over the hump on fixing something.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, and and uh, some there was times I knew more than the instructor did, <laughs> you know. Uh, I, I taught them something, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes. I remember one time, they uh, they were going through scenarios and, and saying well what do you do if you got this 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 and this and I was like well I crimp off the heater hoses and and he looked at, and the the instructor looked at me and said well why would you do that and I said well I'll crimp off the heater hoses and shut down the hot water to the inside of the dash and then you can tell if it's a blend air door problem you know he's like
2: oh
1: <laughs> he's he's like I'm gonna put he turned around and he wrote and made a note he said I'm gonna put that down my lesson plan here. <laughs> and, and, and uh because you need to know. You need to know what when any problem, it doesn't matter what it is, it doesn't have to be A C, but you need to know what you're dealing with. So you got to eliminate things left and right and left and right until you get through the problem to the root mm-hmm. and figure out what is it I'm dealing with. You know, and and with A C, you know, especially almost I'm look, I'm just gonna have to say something here. Uh you know, we went from R twelve refrigerant
2: uh-huh
1: because it's supposed to be unsafe for the ozone which crokahooey okay it's six times heavier than oxygen it, it, the molecules fall they don't rise up into the atmosphere um, that when we use our detectors our, our sniffers to find leaks mm-hmm. we check underneath connections you don't check on top of them because the freon falls it's heavier than air and uh, so we, but R12 was an extremely efficient very efficient refrigerant, and and uh, it it it, had, it provided uh, you know excellent service, cold air for minimum amount of fuel usage. And anytime you put a you know you lock in your compressor, your fuel consumption is going to go up. But uh, now that they they went to one thirty four A, which is not compress as compressible as R twelve. Mm-hmm. Well, they're getting away from that, and they're going to some European crap. That uh, I don't even know what it's called, but it is a load, and it is so uncompressible. It creates so much heat. The compressors have to be overbuilt uh, and heavier uh, to withstand the kind of torture it's going to take its whole life. Then, then to cool the uh, the what they call the the uh, liquid line. No, not the liquid line, but the uh, discharge line. Mm-hmm. It's coming out of the compressor, so boiling hot now that they're reclaiming the condensation drip to help cool that line. And it's ridiculous to even think that. So as time goes on, because of politics, we make, we are making certain, some things worse and not better. Remember a while ago I said that things are way better now than they've...
0: Okay, so what did you just say about the refrigerant well, being compressed?
1: Uh, yes, it, uh, R-12 being the best refrigerant ever was. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but they got rid of it because they claimed the CO2s were getting up and running the atmosphere, and I didn't believe that. But uh, the next refrigerant, 134a, and we had to go to special seminars on how to handle it, on how to use it because it was not near as compressible as one as R12 was. Household refrigerants like your central heat and air, mm-hmm. R22, uh, some other stuff was did fine for years. Was highly efficient. Uh, didn't use a lot of electricity, and cooled your house ice cold. Mm-hmm. Well, as they go along, uh, they're attacking even the environmentally, you know, quotation marks environmentally friendly uh, refrigerants. Are attacking them, and all of a sudden now they're evil, and they're going to stuff that's even less compressible for your in your car, and less compressible in your household, and and it creates extreme amounts of heat. It ruins your compressor. In, 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 your compressor life does not last near as long,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: it's inefficient because it's least compress it's less compressible. So it burns more uh, electricity, burns more fuel in your car, and I don't know how that's better for the environment. You know, I have to say that that's just a stone ground fact, part of handling, doing automotive AC. Yeah, and uh, but.
0: Because, like, when, like, there are certain things where I see, you know, I see the good that can come out of it if it's going to be, um, it's going to help with the longevity of of a product Mm -hmm. or a vehicle. And then my frustration is, well, this doesn't seem much better. Mm -hmm. This looks like crap. It looks like you're going to have to replace it sooner. Right. Which kind of, like, doesn't give you doesn't give you an option like you have to as a consumer you have to consume more of it Mm. so how is that helping right exactly like I have questions about things like that Mm -hmm. um now one of my other questions for business so besides you know being able to understand your overhead Mm -hmm. and financial and things like that um I know Mom had told me that if I ever opened my own shop, she said, you know, the bank gives you a loan of twenty grand, and she said that's just enough for any business to fail. Right. You they technically want you just want it,
1: enough money to fail,
0: and they like you actually want to have double, if not triple that, to right. open a you business. Need, you
1: need a lot of cash on hand because the next thing you know is is uh, you know in a month or two, um, your personal living expenses will take anything the shop may have even Mm -hmm. tried to produce for you so you need to you need to borrow and i'm going to tell you something right now i am a stickler about getting out of debt Mm -hmm. i mean huge about getting out of debt and staying out of debt and if you can pay as you go you pay as you go and and uh and live uh well below your means Mm -hmm. if possible and because there
0: were there were times where you didn't bring home a paycheck
1: Oh, yeah, There's a lot of times. I paid everybody else but myself,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, and, and uh, I went to the Venn Waterhouse uh, seminar on, on businesses through Napa. They mm-hmm. they put on, they, they hired him to come down to Tulsa, and, and I went up there, and I was there with all the other shops and, and, and from around the state of Oklahoma, and every single one of us had the same issue. We're busy from sunup to sundown. We're working our hind ends off and we're going broke.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, and I I listened to, there was an episode of Bull on TV the other night, and there was a guy who had a restaurant in the, and it, believe me, this had, one has to do with the other, and he was talking about, to his wife, about his restaurant, and he said, baby, I don't know what went wrong. He said, we were busy from the time we opened the doors till the time we shut down. Every table was full, and we were going broke. So, that goes back to, uh What's the root of the problem? Well, mm. Vin Waterhouse believed that uh, businesses weren't charging what they should. He said, your business doesn't, he, and if I took away one thing from his seminar, mm. I took away this. He said, remember, your business doesn't have a conscience. It doesn't care. The bills are gonna be there on the first of the month, mm-hmm. and you better be able to pay them. The business doesn't have a conscience. It doesn't care. So you have to raise your prices. But we're all looking at each other around the room going, well, we can only raise our prices so much, and then we're at dealership prices,
2: mm-hmm. you
1: know, and we can't compete with them. We're not the dealership; we can't fix things, you know, with the back the support and and uh, tools and stuff that they have. Will never, no independent shop will ever uh, be that set up. But we can't overcharge and charge and price ourselves right out of the market. So that's not an option for us.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: and uh, <clears throat> one company out of Tahlequah. Tala, uh, hired an independent company to come in and study their business and they did and when they got done all they could do was scratch their head they wanted more money to examine their business for another month because they couldn't figure it out they, you know they're you know they got they got they're, they're fixing cars they had a machine shop with an automotive shop mm-hmm. so they're fixing cars like crazy at the same time they're they're redoing heads and rebuilding engines and 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 transmissions and stuff like that and just general uh, machine shop stuff, they're busy. They're busy all the time. They have a good clientele built up and, and they, they got their, their employees are busy. Well, by the time they pay their employees and pay their, their vendors, you know, for their materials, the parts coming in or materials, you know, metals mm-hmm. and what have you, and then pay taxes and then pay employee taxes and then pay, so you know, uh, all the stuff that by regulation we're required to pay, there's no money at the end of the day for the business owner, so uh, it is very tough for me to ever advise anyone to go into business for themselves. And I'm going to tell you this right now: the only way that I would I would ever go back into business for myself is if my overhead was low. And I mean, what I mean low is I mean I own. The business property, the building I don't have a rent payment due mm-hmm. i've got I've got things down to an absolute minimum, and that means staff that if if I can get it done with two people mm-hmm. then I get it done with two people if it <laughs> you know what I'm saying that's just <laughs> yeah. the way it is i mean uh investing in tools only only when and only it that it becomes uh required like say hey if my CPA says man you better spend some money <laughs> if I've got the money in the bank and I'm you know then if I need a uh, deduction uh to depreciate
2: mm-hmm.
1: then I might think about buying a new piece of equipment but only then
2: compressor. You know?
1: but the rest yeah compressor <laughs> or a, a alignment rack a new computer for the alignment rack or uh you know an engine diagnostic machine or something like that, something high dollar uh, otherwise, I sit on what I got and I use what I have, and I make a business out of it, and I make a living
0: and so so in in that case, there's a lot of things that they would want to prepare financially uh, to ha- sorry, my phone is flashing, I'm not sure why um so. Financially, they would probably want to prepare a spreadsheet and talk with a CPA about it. Well,
1: CPA wouldn't have a clue. No? No, no. Automotive is not like uh, any other business. Name another business. It doesn't matter. It doesn't even close to correlate. And now, he can crunch your numbers for you, mm-hmm. but he can't advise you on on what and where and when and how and all that. Only another shop could that's been in business for over 20 years, mm-hmm. Mike, could tell you. What you need to do and where you need to do it and what you need to invest in and how much and how deep mm-hmm. and all that now CPA wouldn't have a clue,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. Because like, all oh, I they'll can...
1: give you some general advice like yeah. like keep your keep your expenses low and and <laughs> your and your your costs down and increase your profits. Well, they can tell you that all day long.
0: Duh. But the but vehicle, like, we yes, know that. <laughs> the, yeah.
1: Oh yeah, it's no brainer. But the but vehicle to like... get there is a different story. Yeah. The pathway is is yeah. sorted.
0: So. I'm going to like segue into we're gonna shift gears a little bit. <laughs> shift gears. Yeah. Uh into the the last section I wanna talk about and I might actually break this up into two episodes because this is like everything you've disclosed on business is 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 really important and mm-hmm. it needs to be shared. Because it's just the reality of things. It is the
1: reality. It may and not be glamorous, but it's... No, it's, it's not. <laughs> but it is the like, truth of, of yeah, the because situation.
0: Like, working on cars, you get... Like, working on cars, whether it's finances or whatever, it, it's usually messy in the beginning, but hopefully in the end, we mm-hmm. have something pretty to look at Yeah, that that's also very practical and functional. Mm-hmm. And so the next thing I want to talk about is um, just... Uh, the I told you guys I got some gadgets and I'm going to discuss some things I've noticed while using these I got a vortex gun from a friend for Christmas and it's also it's also called the tornador or the tornador it's a vortex gun like that and so it is amazing for cleaning out your carpets and it has such a fine mist it's it's very much someone called it a dry cleaning gun and I was like sure whatever but um I highly recommend it for the rugs and the mats and if you have to blow out a lot of dirt out of your carpets, I recommend it in that manner, but as for the upholstery or um, things that are a little tighter with fabric, I do recommend a carpet extractor uh, after using this because I loved it on the rugs and the mats and everything and, and the floor itself and being able to blow all the dust out of the air vents with it with such a fine mist of water. Water isn't going to sit. It's not going to mold. It's not going to mildew. It's going to get your stuff clean. That's wonderful. But I discovered there are still things that you're going to want to have a carpet extractor specifically for to clean, say, your upholstery or the tougher stains in your vehicle. Um, But one thing I noticed I wanted to talk to my dad about when it comes to the interior of a vehicle is I notice on the driver's side, Every vehicle I've owned, every vehicle I've ever detailed, the seat on the driver's side gets torn up on the edge and on the left shoulder Hmm. where you get out. Is there any way to protect that and keep that that wear and tear from happening? Because even if you put a protective seat cover over it, the stitches are still going to loosen and wear uh, even under the seat protector. So is there anything that can be done to keep that from happening and that foam from not breaking up and falling out?
1: Mm-mm. Nope. Uh, seat cover is the best you can do. And and, and even then, you're defeating the whole purpose of <laughs> of the seat, the nice leather seats yeah. or whatever I it mean, is that like, you have. I mean, if you this... have cloth seats, it's a no-brainer. Just yeah. get you a seat, uh, sheepskin seat cover. Mm-hmm. And uh, But if you have leather, mm-hmm. nah, just... It's just going to wear, and then when the time comes, you buy a new seat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's just or the way it is. Or you just
0: have it re Now, the only other
1: way that realistically that you could keep that from happening, mm-hmm. do you want to hear it? Yes. Is to get out of the car methodically.
0: Mm-hmm. Get
1: in the car very methodically and get out. Don't rotate in your seat.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Don't slide off the seat. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Because a
0: lot of people, they kind of like roll in and out. They roll
1: in and out of their car. So the only other way you can do it is to pick yourself up off the seat Mm -hmm. and pull yourself out.
0: Now, I did notice with those racing racing seats that people put in Mm -hmm. Mustangs and, you know, your sports cars, you don't really have that choice to try and roll out. You have to get out a certain way. And I noticed that there is a little bit more longevity with those seats because you can't get into those seats <laughs> like right. you would a normal car seat. And so, but yeah, I was just looking at the wear and tear and I'm like, that's so frustrating Yeah. to see that get torn apart because other than it's a seat gonna protector.
1: Happen. Just going to happen. Part of driving.
0: Yeah, and this is, this is something else I wanted to touch on when it comes to the interior vehicles is I see a lot of people shampooing their carpets mm-hmm. or their upholstery and i didn't know this until this last year but you want to lay down a some type of cloth protectant like a scotch guard spray um to keep the stains uh from to help stains roll off and things like that not so much with leather but with the with the uh cloth interior You're right um you want to lay that down and you also want to lay it down on your carpets in your car as well. You want to be able to put a protectant on it. Mm-hmm. Just like you would waxing the outside of your car, you want to protect uh, the interior. So, you know, it's great to, to clean the interior. It's great to clean the carpets, but you also want to go back over those things with something that is UV pr- protectant for the plastic and stain resistant for your carpets.
1: Well, I'll tell you I, the only thing I can throw in on that is I would not recommend uh, hiring a steam cleaner to steam clean my carpets or my seats. Uh, cloth seats, unless it was summertime. Yeah. So that they'll dry. And yeah. Because if you do it in the wintertime and you close the vehicle up, uh, it's just going to mold.
0: Yeah. So so what I've learned with steam cleaning, because I got that steamer in there that I love. Uh, I steam cleaned mom's car with it. Mm-hmm. And I learned very quickly, this is another reason I want to get a personal carpet extractor, mm-hmm. is that from watching more professional detailers, is they steam clean and they go back in with a carpet extractor without the wash setting on, just the extracting part. Mm-hmm. And they and they either use a vortex gun to blow air through it to help it to dry, or they use the carpet extractor to suck up as much moisture as possible yeah. after steam cleaning. And so, um, but I use the steam cleaner on the plastic on Mom's interior, and I... Well, let me tell you, that was a game changer. Hmm. I usually spend about 45 minutes with a Q-tip and detailing spray. Right. Uh, getting every, trying to get as many little crevices around the steering column, uh, on the dash, etc. And it turned a 45-minute job into a 15-minute job. Yeah. yeah. And this is something I'm teaching my son about is um, when, we, when we're cleaning, I'm doing something and he's coming immediately behind me and he's wiping everything down. Right. And then we trade, so he gets to be lead, and I wipe everything down for him so I can catch him in his errors and making sure he's learning how to do things properly. Right. But th- the, that steam cleaning gun I got, it's just th- it was $30 at Walmart. Mm-hmm. comes with a bunch of little attachments, and I mean, it made very quick work of detailing the plastic, and it got stains off that I've been trying to get off for months. Not all of them. But it got a good amount of them off. And I uh used Chemical Guys, a super superior interior cleaner, and then I went back with Meguiar's Ultra Gloss right. uh UV protectant. and But the difference this time, I mean, the the end result was the same, but I got it done in half the time by adding the steam cleaner to the steps. It's one more extra step, right. but it cut the time in half. Sure which is really awesome. But, yeah, we are we are out of time for right now. Thank you guys for joining us. I really, really appreciate you. I love you. I can't wait to see what else we're going to talk about over this next year. And uh, thank you, Dad, for joining me. I greatly appreciate oh, it. I'm glad to do it. And I'm going to have a few more updates next week, or actually on Wednesday, uh, day after tomorrow, and we'll have a couple of extra episodes because i got to get caught up and get you all up to speed. But thank you once again to our truck drivers, to our essential workers, to everyone who is working tirelessly to help keep everyone safe. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I love you. If you can stay home, stay home. Um, and if you're like us and you're dealing with distance learning, uh, you make your... Sh- go hide in the shower and cry. I'm kidding. (laughs) I'm kidding. No, the kids are doing great with distance learning so far. Um, But bless you for if you're home with them. And uh, I think that's it for right now. And I will talk to you guys later. I love you.